a lot of people would think increasing profitability could be through cutting costs. And that necessarily can take away from the two things, the top, which is your people and your product. If it's all about cutting the costs, cutting the labor to a point where the experience of the customer starts to diminish, your sales will start to tank. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Fifth Wave. In this second episode, we continue exploring the metrics and KPIs that successful hospitality operators use to achieve outstanding results. Last week, we heard from Colin Harmon of Dublin's 3FE about the indicators he employs to maximize the performance of his coffee business. And today, we turn our attention to the key operational metrics that broader hospitality businesses can use to deliver consistent and excellent customer experience. I'm delighted to be joined here in the studio with Andrew Purcell, Director of Always Bright Group and former Head of Operations for Central London for Soho House Group. Soho House is a global hotel, members club and restaurant group founded by Nick Jones in 1995. Andrew has worked in hospitality management for nearly two decades, including 12 years at Soho House, where he oversaw the running and setup of 10 sites in central London. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. I wonder if you give us a little bit of background on your own career. I was always passionate about food and drink and certainly the experiences you get within hospitality. You know, I still remember the days where my parents, particularly my grandparents and my mother, would make these amazing experiences at home with family and friends. So it was always there, that passion for hospitality. And when I came out of school and moved to the UK, I wasn't working in hospitality, but I needed to find some more resources, as I might say. And I ended up working extra after my day job in hospitality. And, and lo and behold, that became the main source of my income. And everywhere I've gone over the course of the last 20 years is within hospitality is because I've met someone else. And... After about seven or eight years, I uh, ended up in Soho House and um, I was there for just over 12 and a half years. And your final role there was? So I finished up as the head of operations for Central London mm-hmm. and that entailed working with uh, 10 sites within Central London. But a part of that was opening five of those sites towards the second half of my you know, 12 years there. And very different operations you had. You know, the small restaurants on Cafe Boehm on the corner of Old Compton Street, all the way up to Shoreditch House and 180 Strand, which was the last one we did. So very different operations, working with different partners, working in different environments, different locations. So really a vast amount of operations within central London. Mm-hmm. So with that immense portfolio and, and certainly a very successful brand now on a global basis, there must have been some pretty tight metrics to kind of control and make sure that all the teams are on track for operational excellence. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one thing that I took away from Soa House was how important your people were to your business. And Soa House used to foster a lot of people through the business. And we did always look outside because we realized some hospitality brands create strong people and they have fresh ideas. But certainly the strength of Soa House in my time was the internal progression of people mm-hmm. and really making sure that they believed in the brand, they understood the expectation of the customer and also the expectation of Nick Jones. And I think that was uh, an incredible part of my journey and just understanding that the, the main priority for him was create an experience for your customer and focus on your customer 
everything else will come. What were the kind of metrics that you looked at to make sure that that business and each one of those units was on track? Are there there any kind of top three or four metrics that you would have your teams uh, immensely focused on to make sure that they were performing? Yeah, so I I would always break my metrics down to three categories. Mm -hmm. And eventually I added a fourth, but the fourth was much later on. And first was always product. And under that, you'd have looking at your food, your drink, the experience you would be offering a, a member or a guest from the time when they thought about going to your restaurant or your club to all the way through their journey to the very end. And that was everything, you know, attention to detail. It was almost like treated like it was your own home. And, you know, the, the way in which the lights would be set between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. What was the music like? What was the offering as well? And it, people come into restaurants and clubs for lots of different things. Some mm-hmm. people just want to come in and sit down, have a cup of coffee and be left alone. Some want to read a paper. Have you got the paper there? All these little touches make a big difference to your customer. Then some people are out there for you know the three-course dinner or the three-course lunch, making sure you're able to tailor all of your product to everyone's needs. Mm-hmm. Um, then people, recruitment, more so today is the hot topic and it, everyone says it's very hard. I think, yeah, it is much harder than it was pre-COVID. Though people have always been challenging, but I do feel like you've got to have a very clear structure of when you are employed as a come into hospitality, this is the expectation. Mm-hmm. It might not be it not, might not be sociable hours, but certainly you've got to ensure that they know the expectation from day one, mm-hmm. and you build that team around that culture within the business. And cultures change, and I think also you know in the last five years the expectation from the staff member has changed dramatically. And I think some, some employers are tailoring their businesses to that. Um, some are not so. Some are just staying as they are and mm-hmm. they're going to ride out the storm. Um, and then third category was always profitability. But that wasn't the main driver. You have to focus on your people and your product before you think about profitability. But within your people and within your product, you were always angling the how could you make the most profit for your business Mm. and you know sales is through good training um good recruitment also to make those people the product is easy to deliver it's cost efficient and minimal waste because you don't want to have anything like that in your business Mm. um and the last thing that i started to really hone in and i think there's only because my role became much bigger and i had to sometimes streamline the approach so really made sure that my three pillars the people product and profit was a very clear process for everyone to understand. And it was almost like the rule book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I think you have to ensure that people have a little bit of flexibility within those mm-hmm. processes as well. It can't be that this is the only way, but it was more the processes. This is the standard that we expect. This is what we've got to be focused on. And some of those had to be quite outlined because people wanted to know what the boundaries were. Yep. And I think it's okay to have a little bit of gray area within some of those boundaries. That's a fascinating framework. So effectively, the four Ps. Um, I wonder if you could unpack some of the metrics, some of the indicators that you'd be looking at in getting that product right first. When it comes to product, it's making sure that the product is consistent for your guest. Not making it complicated, making sure that the staff know what the brief is. And that was always very clear within Sir House, whether it was Chaconis or it was one of the clubs, the brief was really clear. So when it came to the product, it was always about 
organization around if we're going to change something, making sure that it was right for the time of year, right for the season, that it was deliverable. You could execute it well at high volume. And that came with food and drink. Nothing was too complicated. And it was all built around that the product was on point from the first check in the day. How do you ensure that you get that consistency? By instilling the culture, and this is about the process around the attention to detail. Every general manager and head chef were ultimately responsible for the business, but they were also made to feel accountable. And they were your eyes and ears of, you know, seven days a week within the business. Yeah, there was always an element of, you had a bird's eye view of how things were going and you might see the bad things a little bit more frequently, but ultimately you can't walk around with a negative eye. You've got to walk around with a positive eye to see that the people in your business are following those processes and sticking to the plan. Yeah. And I think that's the, that was always the challenge. I always used to say like the first check of your day was meant to be your best check with quality speed and, you know, that the customer had a great experience because that would set the tone for the day. But then you always have those busy lunches and dinners and an unexpected rush. And that was always the biggest challenge because you've got to be prepared for that. And I think that's sometimes where the businesses had huge influx of people or those sudden rushes of members or guests coming in that the quality and the consistency and the speed of the product could start to slide. You have to trust that the, the general manager and the head chef have set their business up for success through good rotoring and good labor control and make the best of those unexpected situations. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, sickness and people absentee from work and was always a, a big part of the day-to-day -day stress for general managers. And they had to find a way in which to motivate their staff to yeah. always be at work as best as possible. Well, that brings us to the second pillar of people. What do you look at as a, an operations head? What are your indicators that you actually have a great team and a motivated team and, as you said, a culture that is embracing everything towards customer success? I think recruitment is, is you have to find your own way of what you to look for. For me, always first impression was a major thing. I can't teach you personality. I can teach you skills of how to work in a restaurant and look after people, but it's very hard to teach someone personality. And that for me was my indicator. Towards the end of it, I didn't really do a lot of recruitment. I did, you know, I might've seen head chefs and other senior people in the business, but ultimately it was always the first impression counts. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, I think it's how we train and develop every staff member to understand how we did things. And I think that's in hospitality. Everyone's got their own way of doing things. Um, and I appreciate it's a hard job and it can be not a career choice for everyone, but ultimately you've got that eight, 10 hours a day where that person's got to perform, they've got to be on stage. And that comes through the expectations and the, you know, that the uniform is perfect every single service. And don't accept that the uniform's not right. Be on time for your, the start of your day. And that sets the tone for the business. But if you don't allow, if, you, if those things start to slip, the quality of your product will start to slip. Your culture in the business, the attention to detail within the business will start to slide. Moving on to the next and crucial pillar, profitability. What are the metrics you're looking at to make sure a business is profitable? I think people sometimes can write wishful thinking budgets that they're just a lick in the wind and they're not actually realistic. And whereas I, I think you've got to look at the, the location you are, what's the size of your business, be realistic with what your menu is price point at. 
and focus on what your customer is realistically going to spend within that business uh, and then build your budget from there. But I think there is a lot of challenges at the moment when it comes to cost control because of what was price increases through you know the changes in the U- UK. Uh, Labor's definitely become a big challenge because it's much more expensive than it used to be. I think it might continue this way. We're not going to see it going backwards from where it is since the leap. Um, but certainly labor is your biggest metric in terms of control because it is your biggest cost of the business. And I think if you've got good operators and they're well-trained and they use the information they've got, which can come through your finance team, but certainly through the programs you might use for labor control and variables, you know, good cost control management through your variable costs. So with that huge variable labor costs, how do you actually ensure that those staff costs are tightly controlled? What does the week look like? What does the month look like, for example? For me, it was always about forward thinking. If you're not looking at the weather, which was a big impact on a lot of sites, because it changes the, the footfall within the business, but also change what people would come to use the business for, drinking or eating or one or the other. Certainly the balance of labor between front of house and kitchen and bars and management. I never like to suggest to anyone to ride a rotor then to know that it's not busy enough and cut because that sends a negative image to your people, then they end up losing hours. Prepare your rotor in a really efficient manner. And I think a lot of people would dwell on that thought. They would tell me that they would, oh, I can, I've got too many hours forecast, but I'll just cut the hours if it's not busy enough. And I was like, well, that person then's getting their hours cut. And I think that's a negative mindset towards your staff because your staff are your, effectively your selling agents. So for me, it was always about good planning thinking about what's going on in the future weeks. And there was lots of key indicators within the, uh, the market. Seasonality, bank holidays, yep. the weather, obviously. Half terms. Absolutely. You know, a big impact to central London sites. But also there is an opportunity within half terms because it can change what happens from your night to day because the families come in during the daytime. Uh, certainly there was different elements there. And that comes through experience. And I, mm-hmm. uh, a rotor that's always written in advance. Right. It's a very much a good indicator of someone operating, not on the day, but yeah. not looking at just next week, weeks ahead. Yeah. And if you've got a, a historical business, yeah. you do have some data then to go on. And certainly sales is that. Definitely, it would be the, you'd be driving sales and keeping your labor the same, not letting labor go up because your sales go up. Maximize your profitability on those extra sales, not just by mm-hmm. increasing the labor to, to profit. Yeah, and your point that you made earlier was, it shouldn't be all about profits. Obviously, profits the, is the end result of great people, great processes. A lot of people would think increasing profitability could be through cutting costs. And that necessarily can take away from the two things, the top, which is your people and your product. It's a fine line. There are some businesses that can maximize their profit because they increase their sales, but don't increase their labor costs and their outgoing costs. That's a very good operator. Whereas... If it's all about cutting the costs, cutting the labor to a point where the experience of the customer starts to diminish, your sales will start to tank. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that because it's the easiest thing to cut. Cutting variable costs is easy to do. But if you don't do it in a way where it's thinking about the customer's benefit, mm-hmm. you won't have that profit. You might have it for six months. You might be able to write a good year, but the next year you've got to think differently. And so just imagining some of the, the great sites that you've been involved in, is there any great examples of either those that you've worked in, those that you've seen that have been 
just blinding. You just walk in and you go, that's a great business. I always have this debate with my friends and I remain quite simple when I go out. There's a restaurant in London called the River Cafe. Mm-hmm. It's an institution down in Hammersmith. I go there because every day you walk in there, the service is simple. It's slick. The food is always on point. And I just think it's one of those restaurants that delivers the same experience. It doesn't over-promise and under-deliver. It keeps it nice and simple. The waiters don't look formal. They're quite informal. If the atmosphere is great. The food's great. It just comes with a high price point. Um, for me, I've always said the, the time I spent in Soho House, I can narrow it down to two venues that I really loved. First is Soho House Greek Street. You know, I spent most of my 12 years there. I had the fortunate experience of reopening that in 2018. It was where it all started with Soho House, but certainly just having that opportunity to close it down and then reopen it from the refurb. And then it's Dean Street Townhouse, so just around the corner. I learned so much there around the guest experience and really having a business that was always growing and you, you were the custodian of that business because it always got handed over to another general manager after two or three years. And to take it on its journey and make it grow and you know the success I saw from it was great. And the attention to detail in that brasserie is amazing. Still, I, I rave about that restaurant to most people. And what would you say it boiled all down to? You know, why were they so successful? I'm assuming they, they would have been profitable? It was the people I worked with. The team from the receptions team to the chef the operations team and everyone in that building you know made my life enjoyable mm-hmm. so really the in each site it was the people and they were very busy you know so our greek street and d street townhouses there's 7 a.m to midnight operations and it didn't matter what time of day I, it was the people in the business made it great and so what was so magical about the people that made it such a great business we all believed in what we were going to achieve mm-hmm. and it was all a desire to make the guest experience great. If there was a problem, deal with it, don't ignore it. And have each other's backs. There's real teamwork. And none of these businesses you can do on your own. You know, you need all the key players to be involved, committed, passionate, motivated to hit the mark with the guest experience. Andrew, thanks for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thank you, Jeffrey. Andrew shares a very simple 4P framework for achieving operational excellence and exceptional customer experience. So the learning I have here is if your product is consistent and on point, you inspire, motivate and develop talented people, your processes are clear and well communicated, that business should be well on track to generate that all-important profit. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or colleague. And if you want to stay informed, visit worldcoffeeportal.com to get access to all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter collecting all the big coffee news stories of the week. Links are in the show notes. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's song in collaboration with the Coffee Music Project is Jack Is Back by Nashville-based artist Sonia Lee. Until next time, stay safe, stay passionate, and stay caffeinated.